Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Mother's Day looks a lot different this year. <sighs> Mommy needs a quarantine. And our moms may be spending a lot of time with their kids right now. A lot. Like, so, so much time. And even though they love their kids to the moon and back, Mommy, where are you going? sometimes moms need a little alone time. Mommy! You know, to recharge. Go talk to Daddy. Mommy! Where are you? But no matter what's happening in the world, their favorite way to spend time is with their family. In good times, in hard times. Mom! Hi. You're breaking everything! 
in uncertain times. Thank you, Mom, for making time for us every single day. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I ask that you would watch over us as we go to bed and rest, that you would speak to us in Bible stories and speak to us in... Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to South Valley. Welcome to South Valley Online. And we want to say a special thank you to all of our mothers. We want to celebrate them today because they are special and dear to our hearts. So if you are with someone uh, who is a mother, celebrate them in your home today. And maybe if they're far away, you want to reach out and give them a call and just say how much you love them and care for them. So we want to celebrate you and thank you for all you do. God bless you. As we come together this morning, let's give God some praise. Come to your feet from where you are, and let's sing these words up. Come on. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. And my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I place to hide I am not a captive to the lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind I won't be shaken come on I won't be shaken shut it up my fear doesn't stand a chance when I
gather every week, we have an opportunity to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we know that right now it is a different time. But I'm here to tell you that God is not different. He is the same every day. He is perfect. He is awesome. He is amazing. He is worthy of praise. And the Holy Spirit dwells among us. And you can invite him into your home. You can invite him into your daily life. So my challenge to you this week, when you wake up, Pray to God and say, Holy Spirit, dwell among me. Help me to see how you see this world. Help me to be your hands and feet. Help me to be a loving example of your son, Jesus Christ. And if you're tuning in with us for the first time, we want to welcome you and say, God loves you and God has a plan for you. And he sent his son for you to die on the cross to redeem you. So if you want to talk to us about it, just reach out to us through our Facebook page. Reach out to us through our website. And we want to talk to you. But as we sing this song, we want you to take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to dwell among you this morning. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your our living home. Your presence. 
where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your that God is with you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we exalt you. We give you praise for the great God that you are. Lord, let your spirit dwell among us wherever we are. Help us to take you in this morning, Lord. 
And again, we celebrate those precious mothers that are so dear to our lives, Lord, that have helped raise the children around us, Lord, helped raise each individual, Lord, how they have touched lives, Lord. So we pray a special blessing upon them, Lord. And as we seek you this morning, Lord, again, touch our hearts, draw people to you who need to know your love. Help us to lean on your provision and on your strength and keep you at the center of our sight through all circumstances and all things, Lord. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, South Valley. I'm Ron Tuman, children's pastor here. Glad you're hanging out with us this morning. And I know the world's going through a big transition and economic shift, but God is not. And I hope you can find hope in that. His mission is still alive. So there's a few ways that you can support what we're doing here as a church family. If you're not familiar with our mission, check us out, sbcclamore.org, and find out what we're doing, not just here at our church, but in our community and across the world. One way to support your church family and our mission is to give through any of the ways that you see on your screen right now. We have even made it as simple as dropping your giving through the slot in our office door. If you are a guest, please don't feel the pressure that you have to give. We would love to see you just come back next week. That would be great to hang out with us once again. Oh, another way to support our mission here at SVCC is to join us in prayer. We have partnered with United 714, and we encouraged to pray all around the world at a specific time, either 714 a.m. or p.m. I'm a parent of teens, so we have chosen the p.m., and actually, it's not really a choice if you... If you have teens, you might get that. So let's pause for a moment and just humble ourselves and our heart and lift our voice in prayer. Please join me. Dear Father, we thank you. And even in troubled times, as Paul said, we rejoice. So Father, we thank you because we have an opportunity. Maybe, Father, you are, you are the author of a grander plan that just escapes us. Maybe your plan is to draw us back in, into the homes, to focus just how important that element is. So, Father, as we just prepare our hearts today to hear Pastor Gilbert in the book of Leviticus, we just pray that our hearts can be open to truth and through the next hours and days to come, may that truth begin to sprout in our lives and transform where we are. Father, you are an amazing God, and each day you will wait just to spend time because your desire is us. Father, thank you for loving us that way. In Jesus' name, we pray these things, amen. God is good, he is faithful, and I believe he is using this difficult time to do some amazing things in our homes. Our SVCC Kids team is doing the same thing, doing great work to get an amazing message out to you and your kids each week. I wanna encourage you to plug in with your kids for a 30-minute family experience. It's just not designed for them, but the whole entire family, and we've prepared that. It's action-packed, a lot of fun, and this week we've included a special Mother's Day video that will melt your heart, so you don't wanna miss out. If you are not partnered up with SBCC Kids or following us, just go to our website once again, Scroll down until you see this icon and click on learn more and you will find a family experience made for you and your family to enjoy. So we cherish the families here at South Valley and so before we welcome the word into our homes, let's find out what's going on with the Donahue family. So welcome them and have a happy Mother's Day. Hey South Valley family, we're the Donahues. I'm Josh, it's Elizabeth, Matthew, and Emma. And we just wanted to take a minute to sit down and connect with you guys and to tell you just a little bit about how God has been working in our lives during this time of social distancing. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we were pretty busy in our own lives. You know, me being in the Navy, Elizabeth teaching, the kids in school, plus sports and dance for the kids as well. So we had a lot on our plate. Yeah, we were really busy. Um, there were a lot of weeks where we only saw each other for less than 48 hours and all of our conversation came through text messaging. And so this has really been an opportunity for us to slow down and for us to reconnect, not only as a couple, but as a family. And it really has been such a blessing for us. And not only with what's going on in California, but also the rest of the world, it leads us to a verse in the Bible, Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, 
patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. And what we've learned through this is that our attitude really does dictate how we feel from day to day because it is so easy to get caught up in all of the negative and it's so easy to find something to grumble about. So we have had to be really intentional about finding the good things in every day. Um, and I think that in doing so, it has really made a difference for our family. Yeah. And we're incredibly grateful for, for South Valley and their uh, continued approach to finding opportunities for prayer and praise for all of us. Yeah, we tune in every Sunday. We There's not a, a Sunday that we miss it. And it really is a time for us to connect together, to, uh, for us to connect with God. Um, the kids have been tuning in to the children's ministry. Uh, what do you guys like about it? I like the song show because of the funny jokes they make. Yeah, what about you? I like the song show and all the dance. Yeah, and I really appreciate the opportunity for worship on Tuesdays and Bible study on Thursdays. It really is just the perfect opportunity to take a moment and breathe and to fill my soul. And it gives me so much hope um, that we're going to make it through whatever it is. So we really miss our times together and we hope everyone out there is being safe and healthy. So until we can uh, be in church together again, I'm the Donnie's saying bye. 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 Well, good morning, folks. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Ron. And uh, good to hear all that's happening in the life of our church. And talking about the life of our church, a few weeks back, Katrina Morshead, who's our missions representative, she talked about Faraha in Haruma Slum, that partnership that SVCC has with those incredible people in, in Haruma. And uh, they're trying to, at this moment of COVID, help a thousand families through food distribution or by cash transfer so that they can then use that cash within the slum and keep the traders still with a job and some income. And so, uh, we've got a few pictures for you to show or to see about them bringing that help. And uh, they're led by the leaders of Faraha, but also joined by the Faraha student alumni. And those high school grads do an incredible job. And uh, what an amazing work they're doing. Uh, and so far, uh, Faraha have helped over 4,000 people in the month of April with vital help financially and vital help with regards to food. And so, thank you, SVCC, for staying standing with Faraha as they battle the pandemic in Kenya and as we battle it here in California. Be assured that they are praying for us and for California as we are praying for the people in Haruma, where it's really hard to socially distance and where there's no water to really wash your hands, why would you pay money for that when you've only got enough money to buy a little bit of water to drink? So, uh, they helped last month, 4,000. They hope in the month of May to do the same, and it's your faithful giving to that partnership that enables that, that there to happen in Haruma. And we express our grateful thanks and... Uh, We'll keep, we'll, we'll keep you updated about how things are going in Haruma slum. So, if you're tuning in again, uh, this is preach number three in a series called Leviticus Becoming Whole Again. Uh, let me start with a little story. I had a friend in Scotland. Uh, she, she had a sign that would hang clearly for, for all to see as you entered into her home. And the sign said, Dull women have immaculate homes. <laughs> in Maggie's home, you could write the word joy in the dust on the furniture. Uh, it's rare in Scotland to have someone else come in to clean your home. So uh, uh, her sign, dull women have immaculate homes, uh, was so true of, of what Maggie was. And, and Maggie and her family had gone on vacation one summer, and they asked me to check in on the house uh, from time to time to make sure that no one had broken in and robbed them. And so, no joking, okay? The first day that I went to check, I opened the door, and I walked through into the family room, and I truly thought it had been broken into. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's as if the thieves had opened up every closet and made a huge mess. And then I remembered Maggie's motto, dull women 
have immaculate homes. And Maggie's right. It's only dust. I, I hope my mother can hear me say this, okay? Uh, she probably already has had Jesus clean his room twice this morning. Uh, my mother regularly preached the text, cleanliness is next to godliness, Gilbert. And now, a little bit more educated, I want to say to her, Mom, that's not in the Bible. A kid came running to his mom one day crying, Mom, 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 is it true from dust we're made and to dust we will return? And his mom says, yeah, yeah, why do you ask? And the kid replies, well, because I just looked under the bed and someone is either coming or going. Dust. Small particles that cover your furniture or cover under the bed. But the presence of dust in your home doesn't really ruin your soul or ruin your beauty. Keep it in perspective. It's just dust. But in one way within our culture, we seem to sometimes pay more attention to the removal of dust from our stuff and rather not removal of dust from our souls and our inner being. Here's something we need to learn about becoming whole or about becoming holy. We've got to start paying attention to the little things, the small particles that clog our lives, that settle on our souls and begin to dull our inner beauty. As we carry on our journey through Leviticus, we come to chapter 4 of this extraordinary book. In chapter 4, God wants us to do life near Him. Like, we've been telling you how Exodus, the book before, ends with God coming to dwell with His people, and there was a tent of meeting or the tabernacle. But Leviticus is not about God coming to dwell with us, but it's about how we can live in His presence, how we can come close to Him. And this is the fantastic desire of God. He wants closeness. I want to be right there with you as you do life. No distance. We all know what it is to experience in some of our most precious relationships uh, when somebody pulls back, when there's all of a sudden distance that didn't used to be there. We know how that feels when a good friend or a partner begins to pull away from us. We feel the pain and the loss and the empty and the hurt. But God has gone to incredible lengths to remove all the obstacles that might hinder our relationship with Him. And He's gone to incredible lengths to make sure that there's never any distance between Him and us. And this is taught through the role and the meaning of the Jewish offerings which appear in the, book of Le in the book of Leviticus. And remember, we've said this a few weeks now, the ritual connects the seen and the unseen. So the ritual is the offering, but look through the offering, behind the offering, beyond the offering, to see its symbolism, to see what it's pointing to, to see what it's connecting us to in the unseen. So, in chapter 1, we talked about the burnt offering, the removal of our sins through an animal being sacrificed for us, and, and the animal's blood atoned, it, it wiped clean, it, it, it removed the sin that was in our lives. And the great preach that we had, well, maybe not great, but the, the great message that we had uh, in, on, on Palm Sunday was that Jesus Christ has become our supreme burnt offering, and uh, He was sacrificed as a substitute to wipe our slate clean. And then chapter 2 of the book of Leviticus, uh, we came across the grain offering, and that was last Sunday. Staying close 
to God, not to get something from God, but because we want to be in that relationship, be true friendship with God. And we have to bring an offering. It was to be a fine, a fine flower, emblematic of a pure life. We have to add oil, which was emblematic of joy, but no yeast or honey, nothing that decays. Leave out the junk that decays your soul. And don't forget the salt. It's a covenant that is preserved. And finally, incense is added, frankincense, something that gives off aroma only when it's bruised. And we realize that Jesus Christ was bruised and broken to give our lives the fragrance of Christ, an aroma that is pleasing to God and displays us in all of our beauty. And then chapter 3, you'll come across what's known as the fellowship or the peace offering. You and I are at peace made possible because of the burnt offering and the grain offering. Jesus has become your peace offering. If you were to go to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here is something important about these three offerings. The burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering, they've all been voluntary. Your choice a choice that if you make it will enable you to live close to God. If you want to live near me, if you want to know a full relationship with me, if you want to know my presence in your life, then here's the path to follow. Remember, the ritual connects the seen to the unseen. So, Jesus has died as your substitute. He has been bruised and broken, and His fragrance has been added to your life. You can now know peace with Him and the peace of Him, but it's your choice. No one is forced to follow Jesus, but if you choose, what a remarkable privilege to do your life in relationship with God. That's good news. But, have you ever known all of this, the truth of Christ dying for you, the truth of His life being added to your life, you knowing peace, but despite knowing all of this truth about Christianity, you often lay your head down on a pillow at night with regret. Like, if I truly grasped the death of Christ on the cross for me, why, oh why, oh why am I so casual and so weak in some areas of my life? And if I understand how much it cost for God to atone for my sins, why do I keep doing them? It's, it's what the Apostle Paul also says in Romans chapter 7, I do not understand what I do, he writes, for what I want to do, I do not do, and what I hate to do, that I do. And then there's times where I sin inadvertently or unintentionally. Why do I do that? And, and what, what happens to those sins? Do they play a part here? Here's what we need to remember. Leviticus is significantly about the kind of God that we are invited to come near. And remember, one of the proof verses that we raised on the first preach was that God describes Himself as God is holy. And this is the wonder of it. Think about it. A holy God wants to come close to me, and I'm not often very holy. Any other kind of God would not be worth following or coming close to. Any other kind of God would seek to control you or dominate you or abuse you. But here we have a holy God wanting to do relationship with you and me. Now, Here's the problem. A holy God cannot come near sin. Whether it's intentional sin, deliberate, or whether it's unintentional sin, sins that I didn't really mean to commit. 
sin has consequences for you and me in, my, in, in our relationship with God. Acts of sins, knowingly or unknowingly, no matter how minor or small or little you think they are, like dust particles, they mess up, they pollute your relationship with God, and it means that you cannot stay close. And this brings us to chapter 4. Chapter 4, at the top of my Bible, it says the sin offering. But really, the meaning here is purification or de-sin, to purify. And so, the sin offering in chapter 4 could also be called the purification offering. Becoming holy is becoming even more aware of your sins, all the little ones, everyone, even becoming aware of the sins that you inadvertently do. And, and to a degree, that's bad news. None of us want to be made aware of every little wrong thing that we do, intentionally or unintentionally. But here's the good news. Becoming holy is becoming even more aware of how thorough and complete God's provision for your sin and my sin is. And this is important. Becoming holy is not becoming sinless. Becoming holy is becoming even more aware of how much of a sinner you are, and therefore how much more aware you are of the wonderful work that Christ has done to forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. I think there's a huge desire in, in, in all of us to not just theoretically know that we're forgiven, there's a huge desire within all of us to feel that forgiveness, to feel clean, to feel pure. Sometimes the Christian life can feel as if there's an invisible ceiling that's come down between you and God. Or it's as if you're driving on the 99 on a foggy night, and you know the road, and you know you're on the right road, but as you sit in the fog, the Thule fog, there's no joy, there's no clarity, there's no relaxation. It's not pleasurable driving, even though you know you're on the right road. This can't be it. God knows that I can't stop sinning. The New Testament talks about how we remain slaves to sin. So, if I can't really stop sinning, how can we know the joy and the life and the peace and the hope that the Gospels and Jesus speak so loud? How can we know that deeper life of communion with God if God can't come near sin and yet I can't stop sinning? John the Apostle calls it we are walking in the darkness rather than walking in the light. And, and we can grasp that imagery. John calls it knowing God, but not abiding with God. One's here, the other is here. It's interesting that it's the disciple John who talks this way about abiding, about walking in the light, because it's appropriate because John was the disciple who seemed to know the intimate presence of Christ the most. John seems to get the closest to Him. There's that little verse in the New Testament where it talks about how he was the disciple that Jesus loved. But when we sin, when we do what we shouldn't and don't do what we should, sins of omission and sins of commission. When this happens, our closeness with Christ is gone. It's, we're out of fellowship with Him. We have a broken communion with Him. Now, now stay with me. Uh, lean in if you're interested in theology, okay? 
for two minutes. In the Scriptures, there are two stances of holiness. One is a position of being declared holy uh, because of the death of Christ, because, because of His sacrifice, you are declared holy. It's a positional holiness. It's declarative. It's legal. Even the Christians at Corinth, with all their crazy behavior, if you read the book of Corinthians, first chapter or the first book, even the Corinthians were declared to be holy. Now, that's positional holiness. The other is ethical or experienced or practical holiness. It's that need to work out that legal position that we've been given. Now, in Leviticus chapter 4, the sin offering or the purification offering is dealing with the latter, not the former. It's dealing with how do we live out our holiness. If this is what's been granted us legally, positionally, because of Jesus, how now do I live it out? Now, one more thing. Notice chapter 4. Uh, notice verse 3. In verse 3, it talks about the anointed priests and if they sin. And then verse 13, if the Israelite community, if they sin. And then verse 22, if a leader sins. And then verse 27, if a member of the community sins. Different things to bring for different groups sinning three quick things here. Number one, this reveals the nature of God. God doesn't treat us all as cookie-cut Christians, one size fits all. God embraces the uniqueness and the difference of people, of groups, of circumstances. God is absolutely just and absolutely fair in His assessment and His rulings. God, that's not fair. You can't ever say that about God because He is just, and I can rely upon His justice. So, the nature of God is revealed. The nature of sin, number two, is revealed. The sin of a leader has consequences beyond that of a follower. The sin of a community has consequences beyond that of an individual. And then thirdly, the nature of salvation is revealed. Whatever the person, whatever the sin, there's still a route to have your sin dealt with. Now, jump in chapter 4 to verse 27. Scratch this a little further. Your inadvertent sin, your sins of neglect or your sins of carelessness, they still need blood to be shed. And so, it says you were to bring a goat or a lamb, and you were to lay your hand on its head, and you were to kill it. And this is at the heart of God's dealing with your sin and my sin. That which is the essence of life, blood, must be shed. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, the life of the creature is in the blood. So, hear these words, the cost of sin is always a life. makes it hard then to think that there are little sins and big sins, or little white sins and big black sins. You can't really rank sin when you read Leviticus. Even inadvertent sin is serious to God. It requires blood to be shed for forgiveness. So then, verse 30, the priest then dips his fingers in the blood of the goat or the lamb, and he then smears it on the horns of the altar. And this marks the sin offering is different from the burnt offering. But blood was now taken, and if you were the high priest, you had to sprinkle blood on the horns of the altar, sprinkle more blood seven times on the front of the curtain of the sanctuary. You were to pour the rest of it at the base of the altar outside the sanctuary. Different offerings require blood sprinkling different places on the furniture of the tabernacle, of the core of the tabernacles, the tent of meeting. Here's the teaching. Stay with me. Come back if, you've, if I, come back if I lost you there. Listen in if you're still with me. Sin 
does not only separate us from God, making God separate Himself from us because He can't look upon sin, but sin pollutes and doesn't just pollute the person who commits the sin, but sin pollutes the atmosphere the sin is committed in, even to the point where the very sanctuary where God dwells became unclean, and God has to withdraw. Let's try and find the principle. Let's try and see the unseen through the seen. You do not know the full extent the pollution of your sin causes. Because your sin's pollution doesn't just affect you, but it could affect your family, it could affect the church community, it could affect the land, it could affect the communion of the saints, it could affect the work of God. Your sin can make more than you unclean. And the purification offering is required to clean up the mess that your sin has caused, and the blood was sprinkled. Stay with me. Stay with me. Here's the teaching. God comes, and God dwells within the life of a Christian in the person of the Holy Spirit. But you need to know, and watch this, you need to know, you and I hold the presence of God within our lives very delicately. Your sin could cause Him to depart. The psalmist David cried out, take not your Holy Spirit from me. The Apostle Paul taught, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God's presence in your life is a delicate, careful thing. Hold it wisely. Now, very quickly, before I close this one off and hit you between the eyes, okay? Leviticus chapter 5. Leviticus chapter 5, God outlines some of the sins that need the purification offering, and not so much sins that you do inadvertently, rather perhaps sins that you do and then you forget about them. And there's three categories. The first category, sins that betray a casual attitude towards one's responsibility to others. So, look at chapter 5, verse 1. If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he had seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. So, this is the words of Edmund Burke. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. This is Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1. Sins of omission. Not now the sins that you commit knowingly or even inadvertently, but these are the things you should do that you've not done. That's equally a sin. Ever come across people and their faith is all about what they don't do? Like they don't gamble, they don't drink alcohol, they don't watch R-rated movies, they don't get a tattoo, well, at least not a tattoo that says Raiders on it. But sin is often not so much what we do that's wrong or what your conscience says is wrong. Sin is very often what we don't do that we should have done. Like chapter 5, verse 1, will you speak up for truth even when truth is unpopular? Like, do you defend the poor or do you just stay silent about the injustice of what's happening to the millions of people who live in poverty? Do you stand up for the employee who's been picked on or bullied or victimized? 
that's one category. Now, chapter 5, there's a second category. Uh, verse 2, there's a category of sin where you have a casual attitude towards issues of ceremonial cleanliness. So, you would need to read verse 2 about touching, touching an unclean carcass or a wild animal, and you become unclean. Well, this is harder for us to maybe understand, but in those days, ceremonial cleanliness was seen as very important. If you were unclean, you couldn't enter the tabernacle, and you couldn't offer sacrifices for sin. You were put outside the camp. You, you threatened the purity of everybody else who was walking close to God. I mean, I think this is quite amazing at a time of COVID, you know. Uh, there's parallels here, you know. Uh, you kind of have to be quarantined if you think you have COVID, and you've got to wear a face mask and so that you don't infect others because you, your uncleanness could cause others to have a problem. Well, in, Levit in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2, let's bring this into our day. Do you have a casual attitude towards sorting out your relationship with a Christian who's offended you? Do you have a casual attitude about coming to worship with a clean and a pure heart? And you come to worship and you've got a bitter heart and a judgmental heart and a, a, a divisive spirit? I mean, the New Testament speaks strongly about the need to be purified because if you come with that attitude, if you're casual towards that aspect of being clean, it will pollute and it will pollute more than just you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And then there's a third category of sin, chapter 5, verse 4. There's a casual attitude towards personal integrity. And what he's saying in chapter 5, verse 4 is, do you make a rash promise? Hey, hey, I'll call you in a couple of days, and you never do. Hey, hey, I'll be praying for you, and you never do. God's getting here at your word as your bond. Hey, hey, I've been thinking about you. No, you haven't. What you say and promise is a reflection of who you are. And this is very important to the character of a Christian because in chapter 5 of the book of Leviticus, there's even a specific statement about it and getting that sin dealt with through the, through the purification offering. These things pollute us. These things and many other, despite our commitment to God, despite our want to live for Him, they spoil our relationship and they need dealt with. <laughs> this is heavy. This is serious. Um, the U.S. government has a department that deals with food purity. It's called the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. And their job is being a watchdog for purity. So, take peanut butter, okay? I don't like peanut butter. It never made it across the pond. I was thankful for that, okay? But let's take peanut butter. If peanut butter contains an, an average of 30 or more insect, insect fragments per 100 grams, or an average of one or more rodent hairs per 100 grams, then it's thrown out, and the FDA set that standard. <laughs> Which tells me that, that if it only contains 29 insect fragments, then it's okay for your peanut butter to be spread in your bagel. Mushrooms. If you get 15 grams of mushrooms, they're okay unless there's an average of 20 or more maggots of any size in them. Then you've got to toss it out. Or coffee beans, like beware you caffeine addicts, okay? Coffee beans will not get withdrawn unless there's an average of 10% or more infected by dead insects. And then hot dogs. You don't even want to know. Like if you look at all the impurities of a hot dog, there'd be no hot dog. You see, all things being equal, we prefer purity, but we're prepared to put up with a lower standard. 29 insects, parts are 30 insects. Ah, we'll settle for 29. And the FDA defines it for us, and we go ahead with our peanut butter, our coffee, our mushrooms. Still can't do the hot dogs. But when it comes to your relationship with God, 
God does not accept a lower standard. So he's done something. He's done something for us to meet his standard so that we can be pure, whiter than snow. And this is the good news. His Son, Jesus Christ, has become our sin offering, our purification offering. So, listen into Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 says these words, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. And Hebrews chapter 9 goes on to speak about how the tabernacle was sprinkled with blood and therefore how Christ has entered and He has sprinkled His blood over it. So, so what do we do? How do we appropriate the sacrifice of Christ to cleanse our hearts and keep us pure, because we know that even although we believe in Jesus, we're not pure. Our acts are sinful, both of commission and omission. Well, come with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Daily confession. Keep the purification offering flowing. Stay close to Christ. Confess your sins, the known sins, or even the inadvertent or unintentional sins. Leviticus chapters 4 and 5 are not written to condemn us. You see, you could read it and think, wow, this Christian life is too difficult, too severe. Holiness is too demanding. It's impossible to live up to this sort of standard. But they're written in Leviticus to point us to Christ, who then in His own body became our sin offering on the cross of Calvary. And as a follower of that Christ, I live in the good of all that Jesus Christ has done by His death, but I also live with the deep, intense desire to every single day be better to live humbly and justly and mercifully. I wake up every day asking God for His help, and I listen constantly through the day to His whisper, the Spirit of God nudging me to not sin, to act with joy, to act with love. But when I do mess up, I quickly, daily confess my sins and recommit to seeking first His kingdom. No wonder it's often called the pursuit of holiness. Pursuit means effort. It means training. It means working at it. It means not quitting. Holiness pushes us to pursue an ambitious, good, kind, loving, just life, the truly good life but it's a pursuit. And as we end this preach this week, are you willing to go the pursuit? Because it's the pursuit that leads to the best. Let's bow our hearts. Father, as we close our eyes, it doesn't take us very long to imagine the areas of our lives where we know we're still sinning. And we don't have to think very deep to know the, the actions that we've committed or the actions we've failed to do that have caused us to be polluted. And even though we confess you as our Savior, we know when last night or last week we failed to live up to the standards that you've set. But we're grateful for the depth of Christ 
that He is our purification offering, and that this very morning we can come and confess our sins, and You're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness. So, we ask You, wherever we're seated, that You would wash over us and purify us, cleanse us. And may we leave this service this morning not just content to be declared holy because of Jesus, but may we leave, Lord, wanting to pursue that deeper life with You. And may we this week be quick to confess, be quick to stop sinning, and to pursue the holy life. Come, we pray and lead us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, have a great week, and then I will see you next week to continue teaching in Leviticus and look at the role of the priest. So, join us then. God bless.